Welcome to Case by Case. This is a podcast series brought to you by Callum Chain and Luke Zadkovich of Xyla Floyd Zadkovich. How are you doing today, Callum? I'm doing very well, thank you, Luke. How are you? Good, good, good. Did you, uh, did you manage to catch any of the eternal bliss live from the Court of Appeal today? I, I tuned in briefly. I was interested to see uh, who who counsel was uh, going going to be on on the case, or I, at least I saw that it wasn't um, that uh, Alex Wright and Tom Bird weren't weren't uh, leading as they were in the high court. And I was interested to see who who was on uh, at, at QC level. Um, but unfortunately, too much work to be able to enjoy the full thing. I saw a few <laughs> summaries. Yeah, yeah. Look, I think it's I think it's going to be an interesting one uh, for those um, demurrage aficionados out there. It's definitely one to follow. Um, I, I know we've got a few cases where um, this has kind of come up or or issues around uh, this type of issue. So I also noticed that um, there was some reporting being done on it outside of maritime. So I think there is interest in the wider um, LD, liquidated damages type point. Yeah, I mean, it, this this is a case that will be coming to a case-by-case case near you very soon, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. But today, uh, we're not here to talk about the eternal bliss. We've got a London arbitration uh, to talk you through. And I dare say this might be one of our shorter episodes. Um, let's see. Yeah, you never know where these things go. They, uh, when I read it, I thought it was going to be a shorter one. Then I found it a bit of an interesting kind of aside. So we'll see how, how tangential we go. We have definitely said that before and ended up talking for half an hour. So <laughs> let's see how we get on, Callum. Um, so this is London Arbitration 20 slash uh, 21. Not the year 2021, but 20 slash 21. Um, and we're talking about um, nominations of discharge ports. And this is, it's not an uncommon situation where a charter party um, may provide for, in this instance, let's just say the discharging ports, um, to have a range of uh, options where the, um, the destination may be. Uh, and then at some point, there's an obligation on the charterers to nominate what the discharge port is going to be. And there can be sometimes, um, you know, price differentials depending on what port uh, is nominated. And often you'll find that that nomination has to happen before a certain point in time um, so that the, the shortest route to, uh, to the nominated discharging port can be, can be calculated. Um, so, th- so that's the type of case we're talking about today. Um, in usual fashion, Callum, would you like to give like a, a more detailed summary of the facts? Yeah, let's let's go through the the relevant facts for this one. So we have a charter party um, which was for the carriage of sixty thousand metric tons of soybean in bulk, with a, um, a charter as more or less option. Um, it was from Brazil to. Uh, one to two safe ports in China and on the terms of the charter party, it was a voyage charter party, and on the terms of the charter party there was an uplift if the nominated port in China was uh, Taiching. Um, there was also a requirement under the charter party that the 
declaration of the discharge port was given as soon as it was known. Um, and uh, on top of that, there was also a requirement that the declaration was given um, when passing Singapore. Um, and then the final point, which I think was critical in the way the arbitrators found this case, was that the the charter party provided that freight was going to be deemed earned uh, on shipment discountless. Um, the the exact wording was that it was discountless and non-returnable vessel and or cargo lost or not lost. So there was an obligation on the charterer to pay to pay freight irrespective of whether the the voyage was was completed. The um, the cargo was loaded on the 6th of June, and on the 20th of June, there was a nomination uh, of Zushan and Taiching. I think it was for a lightering at Zushan before discharging the balance cargo at Taiching. But either way, that that nomination uh, or that discharge port would trigger the uh, uplift in the freight rate that was included in the charter party because they'd nominated Taiching. Um, and as I mentioned, there was a provision in the charter party that said that there was little uplift uh, for a discharge port nomination of Taiching. The, the charters then changed their mind uh, about two weeks later, on the 3rd of July, and they said, actually, no, we want to go to Tianjin. And the, there was then an invoice presented from the owners to the charterers, including the uplift that would have applied for a discharge at Taiching. Um, that precipitated a dispute about whether that invoice was payable in full, leading to the invoice being paid into an escrow account before the vessel ultimately discharged at Tianjin. Um, and the dispute was around whether or not that increased uh, freight was payable for a discharge at Taiching, notwithstanding the fact that there was never a discharge at Taiching, there was only ever a discharge at Tianjin, which was the, uh, I guess, quote-unquote, revised nomination to the extent that one can revise a nomination under a um, voyage charter party. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh, that's, that's a good summary. Uh, it's, it's one of these cases where... Um, what, what happens when a nomination is made, when you have an option um, in a contract like this? And so we're dealing with um, a, a charter's option to declare nominate by a certain point in time uh, where the discharging ports are going to be. And then once they do that, what is the effect of that? And as, as we know, and you know, reading through this, um, when we got into it, I I'm, I'm, uh, was expecting the uh, the ultimate decision actually that, that went the way uh, that it did and that is once um, a, a nomination is made on the basis of the 1992 case the the jasmine b um, uh, for those who'd like a, a citation that's one lloyd's report 39 uh, of 1992 um, once the the nomination is given, it's effectively written into the charter as though um, the uh, the charter was always to the nominated discharging ports. Um, it's almost like it's now a fixed contract, uh, and you look at whatever happens after that point in time as um, as though the contract was always uh, for the nominated discharging port. I think that's exactly the way to, to think about it, was that when you give this nomination, at least in accordance with that uh, with that case, it's as though you just rewrite the charter party. So it's not a charter party to one slash two safe ports, China. It's, it's a, it becomes a voyage charter party to, uh, in this case, uh, Zushan and Taiching. That's the that's the effect of this uh, written in legislative, uh, written in case law uh, in the Jasmine B. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. And, and, and therefore, you then look at it through the lens of, well, we have a charter party to, um, to definite places. Um, there's then subsequent, that, uh, subsequent to that a decision by the charters to take the vessel elsewhere. What would then happen? What would happen in the usual course? Well, there'd be a right to um, charge for additional freight if the owners were going to contemplate that because the charters no longer have that right. The contract is fixed to go to certain places. Um, so the, the charters would effectively be seeking the owner's indulgence to do something outside of what is contractually agreed. Exactly that. And there were a number of arguments raised in response to that by charterers, including, you know, this is a total failure of consideration. We, you can't charge us freight for uh, Taiching when we never went near Taiching. Um, and there are also a number of arguments raised in the kind of uh, waiver, estoppel and unjust enrichment uh, triumvirate. And um, those, I think, had a pretty uh, limited shelf life because from the moment that the invoice was presented for... Um, for, for the freight, including Taiching, notwithstanding that discharge was going to be at, uh, um, at, at Tianjin, the, uh, it, it was always, you know, um, sailing under protest. Uh, it was expressed in the escrow account into which the freight was paid that this was, uh, you know, without prejudice to this dispute and everything else. So I think that the arguments on grounds of estoppel or waiver, you know, having the, the waiver arguments essentially being, well, you completed the voyage to Tianjin, so you can't now claim freight to uh, Taiching. I think they were always uh, doomed from an early stage. Yeah, I think that's right. And we see this um, regularly. I know we probably see it on our own cases as well. But in reading these judgments, I, I know I often find that um, there tends to be uh, this inclination to throw all types of arguments into the mix and we've had this discussion before i know but a number of these arguments just seemed you know out there i, I couldn't quite see how waiver or um, estoppel or unjust enrichment was really going to get off the ground in in circumstances where um, there had been a clear reservation and they were you know proceeding on the basis of setting up an escrow account Surely they're going to do all that under reservation and make sure that they're preserving the contractual position and, 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 and those arguments. And it, yeah, it seems like the arbitrator gave that quite short shrift. Yeah, exactly. And I, but I think, um, I guess their, their more interesting argument was this uh, total failure of consideration point, um, looking at section 54 of the uh, Sale of Goods Act, kind of by analogy, um, that a failure of consideration which justifies repayment as a failure of, uh, of the contract performance. Um, uh, it didn't, it ultimately didn't go very far. And I think in part that was, that was due to the wording in the charge party um, that I referred to when I was going through the facts, which, which said that, that the freight was payable whether or not the, um, the cargo ultimately made it. Even if the cargo was lost, the freight, the freight was payable. If the vessel was lost, the freight was payable. So it was difficult for them to say that there was this complete failure of consideration when freight was deemed earned so early in the, um, in the process. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think it's, it's, a case, um, it's a case that's a useful reminder of what happens when there are options. Um, and uh, what has happened here is not 
always the, the outcome when you're dealing with options. Uh, in, a, in a contract where um, you, you have to make a nomination by a certain period of time, then you've got the, you've got the um, Jasmine B. And once the nomination is made, it's then written into the contract, as happened here, as we see in, in many situations. But it is um, possible, if the contract provides for it, for an option to, um, uh, to, to be changed. It, it requires express wording uh, for that. Um, and it also interplays with the concept of an election, you know, where, when uh, in contracts, um, the one party gets, gets given rights of election um, or certain rights accrue and they have to make an election within a certain period of time, even if that's not provided for expressly in the contract. Um, then that, that's another concept to be thinking about in, in, in other cases where, where, where options are involved. But look, that's kind of a bit of a, a, a by the by in this type of situation where, uh, which we see in shipping regularly, uh, where there's a nomination to be made, whether it's a, you know, um, uh, as to the, the, the vessel that's going to be nominated early on or a loading port or a discharging port or other types of nominations. Um, generally speaking, those are going to be written into the contract as though they were made at the outset once made. Yeah, exactly. The, um, the, 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 the tangent that I was thinking of was actually different to the, to the option side. Um, but rounding, rounding that one out, there, that was mentioned in the Jasmine B case where, where um, the judge in that case, uh, although finding that, that typically where there's a, uh, one of these nomination provisions, typically what you're, what you're doing in making the nomination is scoring out the uh, one slash two safe births and writing in the name of the, the nominated birth. He did say expressly that this wouldn't be the case if there was special wording in the charter party to the contrary, or there was some sort of special wording that allowed the uh, charterer to make multiple nominations or to change his mind. So I think it's it's another one where the um, close attention to to the to the to the to the phrase to the phrasing used for the for the option or the nomination is is always going to be critical. But I think it's clear that the, the standard sort of fallback position will be the, uh, the Jasmine B position where you're, you're writing in the, the nominated port. Yeah, and, and the other point on that is when you have a contract where at least you think or there's, there's the ability to make multiple nominations that you're very careful about the wording used in the nomination itself. Um, and that there are ways of, um, I wouldn't say giving dummy nominations, but there are ways of giving without prejudice nominations um, uh, that might not bind you to the contract. Um, uh, it, it, that gets complicated, but it, it's, just a, it's just a thought that I had that often what happens is these things are done without um, consideration of what the contractual position is or, or whether you are making a a nomination or taking an election and, and actually there are ways of perhaps serving a commercial purpose or serving a dialogue purpose with the other side um, but through the language that you use in, in, your, in your nomination or correspondence you, you don't actually formally commit yourself contractually to that. I think that's right and I think so so there are two there's a, there's another point here on that if the charters, so, so the charters were required by the charter party here 
to give a declaration 10 days prior vessel passing Singapore and also charters agree to declare dis discharge port ASAP once they know. I wonder what the, what the situation would have been if the charterers simply did not comply with those provisions and then ultimately waited until it was until it was too late or too late for them to comply with that obligation but then nominated um, uh, Tianjin directly as their first nomination. My instinct is that that would be a breach of the Charter Party but it wouldn't have the effect of writing anything into the nomination provision so the effect of that breach would be would be limited to the losses actually suffered by the head owners. They wouldn't have a have a contractual claim for the uplifted freight they would simply have a claim in damages for any additional losses suffered by the late nomination. Mm. Um, that's my instinct on that as well, that they'd need to establish um, establish the loss. What is the loss that flows from that breach? Uh, the breach in missing um, the timing. And so then, that's when you can start to get into, well, if the vessel was able to continue on its merry way towards China um, and the ultimate nomination was given um, late, but at a point when it wasn't adding additional steaming time to to the trip, then query what the losses are. Exactly, and that 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 moves me more helpfully towards my the the, the segue that this made me think of this case, which is <laughs> <laughs> subtle, <laughs> which is the um, it, it just made me think of a of a redelivery notice in a time charge party, which is which is uh, treated differently. And then I went down the rabbit hole of reading into how redelivery notices in time charge parties are, um, are, are treated. And it's actually a very interesting um, area of law. The, there's, there's one case on it that made it to the High Court called the Zenovia. Um, again, for our citation fans, that's 2009, uh, to Lloyd's Rep 139. And the uh, time time charter, the authors of time charters suggest that this is a this is a point that merits further consideration by the court of appeal. Um, but essentially, the decision in the Zenovia is that if you have a read, you know, you're required to give re-delivery notices of 30, 15, 10, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1 days, then the giving of those notices simply means that you're not in breach of the charter party. You're not in breach of your requirement to give notices. For redelivery, you're still able to redeliver the vessel within the redelivery window, having not given those notices. There's there, there's no way that a redelivery notice of ten days binds you to redeliver on the date ten days after your redelivery notice. It you're just giving those notices so you're not in breach of the obligation. And obviously, if there's any loss occasioned by your failure to give a notice, then um, then that's that's claimable. But um, there's an interesting distinction there between the voyage charge party situation where things are are uh, quite clearly written in, and the uh, time charge party situation where you do this to avoid being in breach. Yeah, I remember the Zenovia. I remember the Zenovia because I had a case that turned on it. Um, and the Zenovia, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't that the one where the, the arbitrators made a factual finding that... WP, when given, you know, along with all the other types of reservations, AGW, all going well, WOG, guarantee, and UCE, and, and, and others from memory. Um, but maybe that, that was it. Uh, but they, they made the factual finding that WP meant 
without prejudice rather than weather permitting. Correct. Um, it was exactly that. That's right. And and then the did it did it go to the court or, or was it in a subsequent decision? I, I I think it went to yeah, it, it it was appeal, wasn't it? It went to the High Court and I think the High Court said that um, they queried that factual finding but found themselves bound by it. And once that finding was made, then the notice was um, a without prejudice approximate redelivery notice. Exactly. It, that's that's exactly what it. That's exactly what that uh, what that case meant. Or uh, that's that's kind of one of one of the one of the features of that case. Um, that's a very good memory. Well done. <laughs> I remember it because I I studied it um, for a case and went over it and, and we actually. You know, without getting into the, any specifics, but it, we did go through submissions on that, um, and each party, I think, ultimately resolved. But each party were kind of um, liking the decision, but also not sure it was going to hold if really tested. It was it's one of those decisions where it's a neat answer depending on which side you're on it, um, but at the same time, you wouldn't really want your your own case to be <laughs> decided on it. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think I think when you have it when you have something like uh, you know a book that's as as respected in the in the world of shipping as time charters saying that it merits consideration <laughs> by the court of appeal, that probably speaks volume. <clears throat> but the I think one of the interesting points there is whether the giving of a well the the authors of time charters suggest that giving a redelivery notice means that thereafter you are giving some sort of undertaking that you will not give contrary in in voyage instructions uh, to the to to owners. Um, and the question is then, what's the effect of that undertaking? Whether there's some kind of e-stopple preventing you from giving any any other undertaking, giving any other um, voyage instructions, or whether we're we're into a breach situation. I think it's an interesting point, and maybe it's one that we'll see, you know, not too far down the line. Yeah, there was also it's coming back to me now. There's also something about whether you took an objection on whether the approximate redelivery notice was actually contractual because it and this is this kind of goes to the point I was making before in the nomination if you gave um, an approximate redelivery notice and um, included WP meaning without prejudice query whether you are actually giving a contractual notice or not because you're not really giving it on an open basis um, are you really giving a, an approximate redelivery notice in that situation? I'm not sure you are, and the point certainly wasn't taken up in the Zenovia. But the 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 issue there is if you receive a notice um, that contains without prejudice, you've got to really think: um, is this actually doing what it's supposed to do under the contract when the other side is reserving their position so significantly. And similarly, if you're on the issuing side, whether you can get away with, so to speak, issuing a without prejudice type nomination, which they, you, could, you could imagine a party kind of doing that in the, in the situation of the arbitration case we're talking about, Callum. And saying, look, it looks saying without prejudice, we're, 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 we're saying go to Zhujan and Jiaxin. Um, and um, that that kind of slides through. It, it meets the the twenty day requirement, and uh, then a, a further point down the track, you actually issue an open one to go to Tianjin. 
And <laughs> then I think you're in that scenario of probably having breached the original obligation, um, not locked in a discharging port, not have it written to, written into the contract, um, and then yes, be in breach. But what's what what loss flows from that? Well, exactly. And if you, in a way, it's quite a neat way to protect your position if you're a charterer because you can you can um, you're not giving a you're not really giving a notice under the charter party but provided that ultimately will be the discharge port you want to go to it's hard to see how owners could suffer substantial loss by following that wp um nomination the difficulty you know if you're if you're an owner's side then you want to turn around to charters and say no it's not possible for you to give a without prejudice nomination of a discharge port under a voyage charter party because following the jasmine b a nomination of a discharge port is with prejudice, very clearly with prejudice, there's there's good authority saying that you are in fact prejudicing your your ability to go to to nominate any other discharge port once you make your first nomination. So I think you're right. Exactly. It's not exactly. it's not a conforming notice. Exactly, exactly. And, and I know um, from um, having dealt with the Zenovia, which when what year was that? Have you pulled it up? Did it was two thousand and nine. Wow, another one where. It, yeah, can't believe so, <laughs> so long has <laughs> gone since that case. Um, and uh, what was my point going to be? Um, uh, oh, yeah, that's right. So after that decision came out, I can remember um, on a number of occasions going to clients and saying, look, I think we should have a look at what wording you're using on your approximate redelivery notices um, and make sure they're in line with the case and they give you the flexibility that, that you're looking for. Um, so anyway, uh, interesting. I like your segue. Thanks for taking us there, Callum. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and how long have we been going for? We probably we're probably <laughs> pushing talk. pushing twenty five thirty minutes now. So yeah, there you go. We always do it, don't we? Exactly. There's a lot to think about in these cases. There always is more than when you scratch the surface and you start getting into it. It's part of the joy of the part of the joy of the job and part of the joy of doing this podcast is that there's there's always more to think about. Yeah, absolutely. On that note, um, we'll let our listeners go. But thank you very much for getting to the end of this uh, episode. We hope you've enjoyed it. Um, it's been a bit of a trip down memory lane for, for me. Um, and uh, yeah, thanks for your time, Callum. Always good to, to chat chat with you. Cheers, cheers, Luke. Uh, thanks again to all our listeners. And, and as I always say, if you if you do enjoy this podcast, then then please do hit subscribe or follow or or whatever your um, the the right button is according to the platform that you're listening in on. Until next time, take care.